Sometimes when life gets hectic or the world gets me down, when reality seems too overwhelming to even deal with, when the list of tasks on my to-do list seems immovable and ever-expanding, when the political clown show on the news makes me want to crawl into a hole, when my basement is flooded with water from yet another record-breaking storm, when I just don't know what to do, I open Instagram and watch Greg Hutchinson practicing his drums, and then I feel a little better. Welcome to The Third Story. I'm Leo Sidrin. Gregory Hutchinson, or Hutch as they call him, is simply one of the most swinging drummers alive. He's one of the most highly regarded and highly recorded jazz drummers on the planet. And part of what makes him so special is that he sits at the crossroads of the old school and the new school. He was mentored by the masters like Red Rodney, Ray Brown, and Betty Carter. And he worked extensively with Joshua Redman and Roy Hargrove, among many other innovative jazz musicians of his generation. But he's also collaborated with the likes of Common, Kareem Riggins, and James Poyser, all practitioners of a new school rhythm approach, one that incorporates hip-hop and contemporary sounds as well. Hutch is able to summon the spirit authentically from both sides because both are part of his personal truth. Especially during the pandemic, you could often find him on Instagram sitting behind his drum set coming to you live from a practice room in Rome, where he's lived for quite a few years, just having some fun, as he would say, sharing his ideas about playing. Because Hutch is also a teacher. Sometimes he doesn't even play. Sometimes he just talks about how he's feeling. Greg Hutchinson is many things, but until now, he has not been a recording artist. Not in his own right. He's played as a sideman on hundreds of other records, but he's never made a Gregory Hutchinson record. Now, at 53 years of age, after having played with everybody, he's releasing his debut solo record, The Bang. And it's not necessarily what one might have expected. Rooted in the jazz tradition, the album demonstrates Hutchinson's versatility, his dynamism, and his imagination. It may be unexpected, but as Hutch himself will tell you, it's coming straight from the heart. We spoke recently via Zoom, me sitting in my childhood bedroom in Wisconsin, visiting my folks, and he in Italy, trying to figure out what it means to take a vacation. Along the way, he talked about growing up in Brooklyn, playing drums as a boy, his father, his mentors, the importance of personal style and friendship among musicians. And he talked a lot about other drummers, including Elvin Jones, who he calls Elvin, Philly Joe Jones, who he calls Philly, Tony Williams, who he calls Tony, Kenny Washington, that's K-Wash for short. Art Taylor, he calls A-T. Art Blakey, he calls him Blakey. Roy Haynes, he calls him Roy. Marcus Gilmore, he calls him Marcus. And Billy Higgins, Eric Harlan, Brian Blade, Nasheed Waits, and Clarence Penn, whom he calls all by their full names. Third-Story.com is the place to check the archive. It's hundreds of deep-diving conversations, just like this one, with musicians and artists of all shapes and sizes, and including other incredible drummers. Patreon.com slash Third Story Podcast will put you in touch directly with my accountant, and we are made in partnership with WBGO Studios. Visit WBGO.org slash studios to find out more about all their award-winning content. And speaking of awards, this very podcast has been nominated for a new podcast award called the Signal Awards, and you can help by voting. I'll put the link to vote in the show notes and on the website. It's a category of only three podcasts. I'm very honored to be included, and I think we might actually be able to pull this one off. As always, I also encourage you to leave some stars or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You know, the ratings actually do help. Here's me and Gregory Hutchinson, Hutch, talking it down on Zoom last month. Greg Hutchinson, man, this is a long time coming. What a treat to meet you. 
Oh, man. Thank you, brother. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. Where are you? Are you in Italy? Right now, I'm in Italy. I'm in Siena, Italy. I'm up here actually just a few days off. Just came up. My, my girlfriend's in a workshop for free improvised music. I teach up here during the year, so I just came up to hang out for a little bit, take a break, get back to work. <laughs> it never Greg Hutchinson, man. This is a long time coming. What a treat to meet you. Oh, man. Thank you, brother. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. Where are you? Are you in Italy? Right now, I'm in Italy. I'm in Siena, Italy. I'm up here actually just a few days off. Just came up. My, my girlfriend's in a workshop for free improvised music. I teach up here during the year, so I just came up to hang out for a little bit, take a break, get back to work. <laughs> it never stops, you know. I do know, but man, you know, in your case, it never stops, and it seems like it's divided between a few roles that you've been playing, you know, and developing. Te the teaching thing is a deep part of your life. Yeah, I've been doing that for years, man. I love teaching. Growing up in New York, you got to give back to Masters, Blakey, Max, A.T., Ben Riley, all the greats in New York that I got to hang out with. They all, you know, that's the one message that was embedded in my mind is that you have to give back. So that's what we do. K-Wash, Lewis Nash, Tane, you know. It seems like what you're saying is that you realize that part of the job that you take on when you become a player and devote yourself to playing this music is that you're going to have to teach it to the next generation. The weird thing is now with social media, I guess maybe some people might think, oh, that's not the case. But yeah, you still need the OGs, as my friends call me now, <laughs> to still give back and have the tutelage you know, everyone goes online, they download a bunch of records, but they don't learn anything. So you still need people to come and say, hey, man, try this, or this is the way we need to go, or check this out, you know, or this is what was told to me by Ray Brown or, or by Ron Carter, whoever, you know. What do you think the difference is between getting the information on social media and on YouTube and getting it directly from a person? I mean, I've been following you for years, and one of my things that I do is I play drums too. And I mean, I've, every now and then I watch something from you. It's like, oh yeah, feathering the kick drum. Oh, where that, I remember one, one years ago, which was where your hi-hat, where the two and the four should land relative to where the bass drum is. And just the, 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 the relationship between your right and left foot. And that stayed with me. That was just a little nugget that I took from you, but it's not the same as studying with somebody. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I like I said, you know, I do this thing with Peter Martin, open studios and we do an online course, but Here's the thing. Not every good teacher is a good player and not every good player is a good teacher. <laughs> Let's be 100 percent real here. Fortunately for me, I'm, I'm good at both and that's not tuning a horn, but I learn from the very best. And I try and teach people not to play like me, but to find their own way to go. Like, that's the whole thing. It's like, I just want to teach you enough so that you understand what you need to do to empower yourself if you don't already know. And if you know, like I get a lot of older cats that come to me, like cats who can already play. And then we just talk about concepts. Um, yeah. What are you thinking about? Like, wh what is the sound you're going for? So, you know, you have to understand not everything is a, is, a, is about technique or, or playing fast or playing a bunch of notes. Everything is based off of feel. And if you can make people feel good, then people will dance. If you can teach people that thing, then they get it. You can't really teach that necessarily learning only online. You need both. You know, also, you need people to hear you. When you talk about if you make it feel a certain way, people will dance. One of the other things that is required for that is that there's people listening to you. And I think often what happens is musicians get into their little feedback loop of playing for each other. Yeah, say it again. Say, well, run that, run that line right. You just said it. That's the key to everything right there. That's why the music sounds the way it does now.
Well, yeah. When I hear you going all the way back up until the record that we're going to eventually talk about that you just put out, at the core of it is feeling. You know, that the music that you've been playing has been about feeling a certain way from the very beginning. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's why I wanted to do, you know, the album that I did now. It's not a straight ahead record. It's not a, you know, but this is the thing. People, and I have to say this to everyone, man, listen, I've, like I said, I've grown up around the masters. Even the masters grew up listening to other music. Those guys came up in a period where soul music was coming into play, all this other music. And a lot of them were playing on those records by day. So the point is, New York City and other places can put you in this box. Before I learned to play jazz, my family's from the Caribbean. So before I learned anything about jazz, I knew about Caribbean music, Calypso music first. I, I don't want to be put in, into a, a hole. Like, don't call me a jazz musician. Just call me a musician. So let's let's get the the this whole thing correct because I think you in this day and age you can't just play one thing. If you really want to work and you want to get to a lot of people, you you have to be versed. Right. I mean, I think that that's been a theme in my life and you're, you know, a little bit older than me, but I I think we're basically the same generation, which is that we did not grow up in a bubble. And in fact, nobody ever did. We think that the generation before us, they were in a bubble. As you say, no, they weren't in a bubble. Nobody was ever in a bubble. Yeah. Those cats were doing everything. I mean, there's so many different cats who had different names. Idris Muhammad, right? Played on so many different records, man. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about it. It's like, why I say that you can't do something like I want to, man, I'm into everything. I'm into my sugar. I'm into, you know, I'm into Slipknot. I'm into all kinds of music. I'm not just into Charlie Parker and Ben Webster and Ray Brown and Oscar Pettiford. You see, like I'm, I'm as much into John Bonham as I'm into that also. Led Zeppelin was a hell of a band. Let's walk the story down a little bit because I can't take this opportunity to talk to you without getting the whole journey from you, man. So go ahead, man. Let's get it. Grew up in Brooklyn. Yep. Your father was a musician. Yep, still is. What does he play? He well, when I was born, it seems like he switched from drums <laughs> to playing percussion. So he he he's still playing. He's he's in Harlem, hustling. You know, New York is Trinidadians, man. We hustle all the time. So he's still doing his thing, man. My goal is for this project here to be able to take him out on the road because he got to experience a little bit of that, but not enough, not really. So that's my goal, you know? Do you feel that he's been in some ways living vicariously through your journey as a professional musician? I think so, but at the same time, I mean, he he, he got a chance to do a lot of different things, especially in the Calypso and on the reggae side of the music. But yeah, I think so. I think because like I took it maybe to that next level and of course, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be playing music if it wasn't for him. He, he's the first person he put me on his lap and would play these one drops uh, while he had a questionable cigarette in his mouth. And I got to feel what that what that feeling was like. And I, man, from the age of three, that was it. Like I was hooked. And did you start out playing percussion, then move to drum set or were you stick? No, I just was straight on. I used to kill, man, the first drum set he bought me, I took the drumsticks and um, him and my mom and I, I didn't know. You know, I took the drumsticks and I was like, oh, okay, well, let me let me see what this is. It was one of those Muppet drum sets, those drum heads that you can't replace. So I just straight through the and he was like, Lord, what you doing? Why? And I was like, oh, okay. And so 
they got me some real. He had a set of Ludwig drums, right? Vista lights. So he's like, all right, you're going to go play the Vista lights. Don't put the stick through the head. So he showed me. And then after that, man, it was like I couldn't reach anything, of course. But as I got older, man, I just would go and play those drums all the time. So, yeah. And you started playing in his band or a band with him from the time you No, were well, that was later on. Um, yeah. When I was in high school, we had a band called the Triadics. And it was two steel pan players, a bass player, Earl and Trevor King were the pan players. They both since passed away. The bass player, his name was Ken. And I can't remember the last name. My dad played percussion and I played uh, drums. And we would play at the, you know, they used to have these, uh, I think they might still have it, the festival that went on at Boys and Girls High. It was like a, a music festival. And he, every year during the summer, they did different concerts. So we got a chance to play there twice. Uh, I think one time we might have opened for Calypso Rose. It was a great big uh, Calypso singer back in the day uh, from Trinidad. And I can't remember the other time who it was. But that's also the same field where I think... Oh, oh shit. The, let's think here. Basically what happened was this artist, the stage fell down on him. Curtis Mayfield? Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Uh-oh, guys. Oh, shoot. Wait a minute. What's happening here now? <laughs> well, you know, they say memory is the second thing to go, but nobody can remember what the first one is. It's too It's too much music in my head. That's yeah. the problem. Man. And your mom, though, meanwhile, was playing you other kinds of records, right? She was playing you. Yeah, she was records. playing me Elvin and Blakey and, and Max. You know, she had the records because her dad was a huge jazz fan. And he was a jeweler back in the 50s. I had an original copy of Love Supreme that I still have. It's like, oh, my God. Records were so thick back then. They were so thick. So I would just sit there, and I remember listening to Elvin the first time. I was like, what, what's this? Like, I, I literally was like, what's this? And as I got older, I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I see what it is. What do you think you didn't hear in Elvin at first? Or what do you think was challenging about Elvin at first? The rhythmic complexity. Like, I heard the swing, but I couldn't hear all the other stuff that was going on. And it wasn't until... That's why I always tell students when they come to me, we're not starting with Elvin, we're not starting with Tony, we're not starting with later Roy Haynes. Like, we have to start from the very beginning. So we're going to start with Sid Catlett. Baby Dodds. Chick Webb. We gotta go there first. So you need to understand the basics before you can get complex. And so for me, I didn't know. So of course, you know, I hear Elvin on a Love Supreme or East Broadway Rundown. And I'm like, what the hell? And then finally, when I did understand it, it made 100% sense to me because I had already studied what the basic concepts of rhythm were. And so I could, oh, okay, that's, what, oh, wow. And even then understanding, you still don't understand. Because Elvin, like Tony, like Philly, that, that's just another another level. Like like Roy, like all the greats. It's just, they all had another level to go to, and they all had their own sounds. I read some interview or some statement that you made once about Philly Joe in particular and about how you appreciated that he was able to express his personal experience through the music. Somehow he was telling his story, his personal story. Oh, yeah. I think Philly was like the hustler, man. Like, 
like the way he played the drums was that way like he, he just the sound and every note meant exactly what he, he meant it to mean so he's very particular about comping with the snare drum and bass drum and every time he comps something it's perfect for what needs to be comped he's not a lot of stuff going on he it's the complete opposite of elvin right less notes but the, the notes in the place that make you go oof And I think just knowing the history of Philly and yeah, that, I mean, you know, his life was not easy, but somehow I think that through playing the drums and giving us what he gave us, I think maybe that was like the way of him being able to get rid of some of the pain that he, that he had in his life in terms of just his personal life. And so the drums, when he got on those drums, I think everything was, was beautiful. You know, and so unfortunately, that that's a time period of the music where those things happen. And we, I don't dwell on those things. I think everyone learns, and we all learn from that. And we, you know, we're lucky that the masters who had issues at then were still able to to play some music for us and still leave us a legacy that's so crazy and rich that we can't help but learn from. But we can also learn from the mistakes that were made and not make those same mistakes. I don't mean to re romanticize any of it in any way, the personal pain and the addiction, yeah. any of that stuff. But I am often, and more recently actually, amazed by the amount of dignity, elegance, hipness, and humor that was in Blakey and Philly Joe and Elvin and these people who actually went through terrible hardships. And I'm not saying it's because of that, but in spite of that, elevated the way people felt, you know? I think when I was about maybe 19 or something like that, I was playing in a place in New York, Bradley's. And this is where all the masters went after their shows and, and they would hang out. And then, you know, you, you should, everybody played there also. And I remember I was playing there and A.T. Art Taylor. And uh, Blakey, I go to the bathroom on a break and they come into the bathroom. You know, that bathroom was super small. There was a stall and it was a, a toilet. Yeah. So I'm in the stall and, and I just hear randomly like Blakey says, hey, boy, if we ever catch you doing this shit, I'll whoop you. You know what? And, and then proceeded to hear some other noises. And then, so I left the bathroom. I was kind of laughing. And, you know, so then I went outside to my car. And uh, I think now we can tell the story since, especially in New York, everything legalized, weed is legal. So I go out to my car and I had a joint in my car and I'm sitting there and then A.T. knocks on the window. He said in a real high pitched voice, but I'll smoke a joint with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeded to tell me all like basically give me an in-person version of uh, notes and tones, like just wow. talking about all the great drummers and why. You know why Blakey said what he said, and 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 he meant it because he he believed in me, and he he saw he's like oh here here's this young cat yeah we will make sure he stays right like we're yeah. not going to let this happen so so you were a young cat I mean you were very young when you started recording and playing you know oh, yeah. on a very high level was Red Rodney your first re real marquee first gig, gig? first yeah. gig well first big big gig before that there was other cats I played with a it was a pianist who passed away named Eno Spain and. A drummer that I studied with at the Brooklyn Conservatory, Wade Barnes. Uh -huh. And those were my first big teachers. And at Bradley's, I would play with Walter Booker, John Hicks. So, yeah, I was I was super 16. Around that time, you auditioned to get into LaGuardia, music and art. Didn't make it. Didn't get in. Nope. What did they tell you? Why did they say? They didn't say. 
Well, the funny thing is, to this day, I'm not sure. And and to this day, the person who was my biggest mentor in my life and one of my, uh, a person that I, that I hold in high regard who's responsible for, I think, changing popular music. Uh, he was the teacher of Kenny Washington, Omar Akeem, Steve Jordan, Marcus Miller. Who else? There's a few other people I'm forgetting. And his name is Justin DeChocho. So I didn't get in. And to be clear, Justin was teaching at Music and Art at LaGuardia at the time, and he eventually left yeah, he was, yep, yep. to go to Manhattan School of Music to yep. be one of the people who ran the jazz department. And I thought, man, you know, and I didn't get in, right? And at, from that moment, that, that's probably the best thing to happen, because from that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going to be better than everybody else. I'm going to show this guy he should have let me in the school. Now, mind you, my good friends who went there, uh, Teru Alexander, Eric McPherson, there's a whole lot of guys. I met them because I didn't get into the school. And I would go out up there, and my best friend, who I actually grew up with, his name is Maurice Williams, went to school there. He played tuba. And so I would go up there to hang out with Maurice. And through doing that, I would hang, I would met Eric and all the cats. And it was like I was in school there anyway. But I went to Erasmus Hall, and I had a great teacher there, Manny Stoniello. And Erasmus Hall, of course, you know, Barbara Streisand went there. There's a whole lot of great musicians who went there. And I think people took it as a slight because they, they saw us as a school from Brooklyn and they never gave us like an, a chance. Well, you know, we proved that wrong. And so I, I wear E-Hall on my back every day. I'm, I'm proud that I got to go there. And that's just to tell people, never give up on your goal or your dream in life. And, and no one can tell you that you can't do anything but yourself. Yeah. It sounds corny. I know you see it on Hallmark cards. But it really is true. Only person that can stop you from doing anything is you. And I'm not a fan of that. And everything is motivation to me. And you have nothing to prove to anybody else but yourself. But so during that period when you would have been at uh, LaGuardia, you're working at Bradley's, you're playing with these people, and Red Rodney hears you? Yeah. How, 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 how did you get that gig? I got that gig as soon as I got into, well, I finished high school, right? I got yeah. that gig basically when I got into Manhattan School of Music. So fast forward. That's my same teacher, Justin DeChocho. He realized that, oh, wow, you should have been here because I ended up being in the McDonald's Tri-State Band for two years. You know, I beat everybody out. And he was like, okay, well, you know what? Man, I'm sorry I messed up the high school, but where do you want to go to college? I'm like, I want to go to Manhattan. He's like, I ain't, I got you. So I had a full scholarship there. So I get into school. I get into the, the first big band. And I'm playing, and the piano player is Gary Dial. And Joey Barron at the time was playing with Red Rodney. So guys, I'll say, hey man, Joey, you know, can't make some gigs or he's leaving. Would you, you know, would you want to check it out? I said, oh, sure. So, oh, Dick Oates was also in there. We had a great band. Jesus Lord. Yeah. I mean, we we killed everybody in that band. Every, there's no, no reason for us to go to any kind of jazz competitions, which people like to do, which I hate. But anyway, so. Wait, 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 I, wait, wait, wait. I want to ask you about that. Go ahead. Uh, about j- jazz competitions. I'm, I'm curious about that. I, and I don't want to derail you from your story. But no, go ahead. Be- no, that's a good derailment. Trust me. Th- this has become such an engine of development for young musicians today. Sucks. What is your opposition to it or what is your aversion to it? It's like comparing drummers. Okay, so let's just say this is give you guys the real talk because nobody probably does that. There's three levels. There's A level, B level, C level. C level, you ain't calling. B level, you call because you can't get the A level. At the A level, it's just about apples and oranges. It's just what you need for a particular project. Okay, so why pit us against each other to compete in music? Because 
The only way that could happen is if we're all the same person. If we were all the same person, then we can compete. How are you going to compete against someone's feelings or emotions or how someone executes the music? So you're saying, okay, this band plays better. Really? Like, do we see that's the problem? You're already starting down the wrong slope to me. Now, if you want to have a thing where you say, we're going to feature these bands because they're really good bands, that I can dig that. Why does it have to be a winner and a loser is my point. Yeah. How, how do you win at a ride symbol feel? I know how you can lose. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's think about it this way. If you took Philly Joe, Elvin, Tony, and Billy Higgins. Damn. Well, that's distinctly four different ride symbols. So who is, who are you going to say? I mean, because they're all killing, right? Okay, so... I think we just need to take that narrative out, make it less about competing because I don't compete with anyone but myself. Yeah. Like my sound is my sound. Yeah. Brian Blade's sound is his sound. Eric Holland's sound is Eric Holland's sound. The sheet waste sound is the sheet waste sound. Marcus's sound. Clarence Penn, my good buddy. They all have different sounds. So it's just, what, what do you want? You know, there's this incredible record you made a few years ago with Joshua Redman where you and Brian Blade are playing at the same time and back and forth. It's a radical thing because you feel... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how Blade plays. Like, literally, eight bars of Brian and then eight bars of you. Yeah. Exactly. And you hear where it's like, yeah, they're not the same. There's no better or worse. It's just no, personalities. Yeah. And the only way that can work is when you have two guys who think that way. I, and we did the live tour with, with Bill Stewart. And Bill Stewart was kicking my Woohoo! But then I kicked his ass <laughs> because Bill's a, a generation above me. But the only way it could work is Bill is also someone I consider a great friend. So forget yeah. the drums. Yeah. I wanted to do the tour so I could just hang out with Bill Stewart. Yeah. I wanted to do the record so I could hang out with Brian Blade. That's my buddy. That's what I'm talking about. Then we can make great music. When you have two people who are in service of the music and not in service of themselves or their egos, that that's why the record is so killing. Because yeah. I know Blade's coming to play. He knows I'm coming to play. Yeah. So it's it's not like... And when he plays something so killer, I'm like, keep going. I don't, no, 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 go ahead. And and Josh would be like, yo, Hutch, come get, I'm like, no, 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 let him cook. Let him cook. No, 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 let him cook. We don't want to interrupt the groove, you yeah. know, let him cook. And then when he's, when he says, well, now I come and cook, you yeah. know, so that's how it works. All right. So that was our digression. And you are, now you're at MSM, you're in the big band, Dick Oates is in the band, Gary Dial, and you get recommended to sub initially on Red Rodney's gig. And then I got the gig, and uh, first tour in Europe, 
First time to Amsterdam, oh, big mistake. Oh, boy. <laughs> but what we're missing, though, is before that, in New York, I was playing every Monday with some great guys who I learned this music from, Ari Rowland and William Ash. And this is just to show everybody out there that this music is colorless. And sometimes I see people say things, and sometimes we all get caught up in our emotions. But I learned this music from two small white Jewish cats mm. who knew about all the music, who knew things that I didn't know who are my best friends to this day. And we were playing bebop music. That's how I learned this music. So let's take away that other narrative. So now you fast forward. Yeah, I I was playing with Red. I had a full scholarship. I gave up my scholarship. I went back to Justin and said, hey, you know what? I think someone else can use this scholarship. What do you think? He said, well, man, you want to be a player, right? I said, yeah. He said, shoot. You play enough drums already, they're going to give you, they will give, not only give you a degree, they will probably ask you to come back to school and and do some teachers later on. So go do what you want to do. And so I gave up my scholarship. And I remember Red Rodney saying to me, I know you gave up your scholarship. I do want you to finish school at some point. Promise me you'll finish school. So I have to go back. I'm in the process of moving back to New York. Yeah, you heard it here first on BGO. Hutch is coming back to New York because out of sight, out of mind. I gave y'all enough time to get your stuff together. Now I'm coming back to take what's mine. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I did promise him I would finish school and my mom too. And that's something that I want to do. Like I want to. Wait, so you still didn't didn't do it? No, I didn't do it. It's been given, but I want to do it. I want to earn it myself. You know, I don't want anybody to give me anything. I want to get it on my own. So even despite all of the successes, I mean, I don't think anybody could possibly argue that anything would have gone better for you if you had finished school i mean maybe certain teaching gigs or something but yeah but what so what is it what is that impulse to say but i still want to finish i said I oh would. because i like to finish everything i start man i can't leave that i made a, my mom passed away when she was 57 years old mm-hmm. and i was 37 that was always my goal and my dream and plus just for me like i don't want to leave anything halfway done and that's thus is you know fast forwarding even more Thus, the whole reason why I waited so long to make a record. And and the record that I made is the record that I made, not the record that everybody thought I was going to make. What was Red like as a band leader? Because that begins now a, a lifetime of working for these kinds of musical directed leaders. Great, great. And he used to call, like, when you play, you know, what we would call free music now, or he would call it snake charm music. He said, okay, now we're going to open this tune with some snake charm music. I was like, first time, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, you know, I'm like... This is dude, snake charming music. I looked at Gary. I said, Gary, what is snake charming music? He's free. I said, oh, okay. Red's from a different generation. And he told me all the stories with him and Bird. He, he did tell me all the stories about him, you know, having to kick the habit and what that was like. And basically what he said was, I know you ain't going there. Like, and I was like, oh, no, you ain't going to worry about that. And he's like, yeah. okay, yeah, because it ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. Musically, it was great. I mean, I got to play. We were on the road all the time. And he was still playing great, you know? Yeah. For me, it was awesome because I I got to learn and to grow. What kinds of directions would he give? Anything specific that he wanted or didn't want or just play the music? Uh, not really. I mean, he had a book of music. So he sent me all the music and a lot of the tunes had already been played. So it was just about that's. You know, and that's why I tell guys, you have to develop your ear. I have a great ear for memorizing music. Weird, I've been living in Italy for 10 years, and I can barely speak, but when you put some music, and you want to talk about music I play with Red Rodney, I can remember every tune. You want to talk about tunes I play with Josh, every tune, every tune with Betty Carter, every tune with Red uh, Ray Brown, every arrangement. But somehow I can't get this, this damn language in my head. So 
Yeah, Red would just say, okay, let's go. And it was, you had to know your part. And that's the beautiful thing about it. It's like, at that level, that's what I talk about. There's no time to babysit. We popping every night. We don't have time. There's no time. Okay, well, did you learn the part? Do you know your part? No, 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 no. I sent you all this music. It's up to you to learn it and memorize all of it. Yeah. See, I don't want to sit on stage with music. Betty Carter taught me that. No music on stage. If you need music on stage, nah, you ain't you're in the wrong band. Well, that's what I was just about to ask you. So then you move through another one of the great universities. I mean, that's why I don't know if you do need. To, I understand you don't want to leave anything unfinished, but you attended so many of the great universities. Oh, it's all. I, 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 I'm one of the few that yes. covers all of those generations. Yeah. Because then you put in time with Betty Carter, who, of course, was a great teacher of young talent. Yep. But could be a little harder. Yeah, I know. She's different, man. Listen, if all and all of the musicians, there's so many that we can go through who have come through Betty Carter. Mogul Miller, Kenny Washington, like I said, Lewis Nash, John Hicks, Curtis Lundy. I mean, the list, Christian McBride, Eric Hall. I mean, the list goes on. Everyone who's come through her school of music is so disciplined in how they think about the music. And also, I would say, understands the, the beauty and space and silence. And that's something hard to learn. And you can only learn that with a vocalist. Mm. Are you taking up my space? And how can you do the same thing without taking up my space? That's what she would say. She was hard on everybody, but she was never hard on me. We had a great relationship. I enjoyed that toughness. I liked that challenge. She was like, I need 100% every night. I don't need 99%. That ain't good. I need 100% every night. I need your best every night. And I love that. I like the pressure. Bring it. Let's go. You know, so. And she had a lot of songs. And, you know, if you forgot an arrangement, oh, she would embarrass you on stage. She said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, we we can't play that tune because my what is what she used to say? Uh oh god, because she never said it to me, so I have yeah. to remember. My little it was some something so so derogatory, you'd be yeah. like, oh my god. Something like my little boys can't, you know, they forgot the arrangement. I, and I'd be sitting on stage like, no, nah, not me. I actually know my part. <laughs> but just the fear that that might happen would be a Oh man, thing. you didn't want that. You didn't want that. You have to remember, we're also young men growing up. And so I, I grew up in, you know, my mom and dad divorced. So I grew up with my mom. My mom, you know, she didn't play. If I did something wrong, my mother's like, get the belt. So with Betty, it was never get the belt. But with Betty, I felt like at any moment, she, she was going to look like, I know I'm not your mother, but get the belt. Yeah, <laughs> could. She, she could invoke the belt. He came into my life so suddenly. I tried to tell this man that I'm not free. He gave me such a sexy look. There's a period also where, you know, around that time where you're working with Ray Brown and Roy Hargrove. First Roy, yeah. Roy after Betty, and then Ray Brown later. Ray Brown was a little later. But Roy, you know, that we changed music, I think. That band was incredible. That band was uh, right after Winton, you know, after Winton's resurgence, then we came. And I think we, we gave young people especially african-american people something to look at that was different uh much younger and we stayed on the road and roy hargrove to me has changed music in not only his approach to the music but his style of dress too that he was dressing like that back then we were, we were wearing suits back then but at a certain point he said no nah, i'm not doing suits i'm going to do something different yeah and if you look at popular music how people dress now roy was already doing that back then 
So I got a chance, you know, my life has been spent being around incredible musicians, but forget the music. We talk the music now, but forget that. You know what makes all those people incredible that I was around? They were incredible friends. Yeah. And we can't play music if we ain't friends like that. Like we can't do what we did if on another level off the bandstand, like I go to war for you. I, I stick up for you. If we walking down a dark alley and it's me and you and it's five other dudes, we're going to walk down that dark alley and we're going to do whatever has to happen. That's how the music is. Like, I will stick up for you. I will try and take you to the next level because we're friends. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the music. The friendship breeds how you play, not the other way around. I appreciate you talking even about just style, personal style, whether you're talking yeah. about the way you dress or the way you comport yourself, the way you behave towards the people you interact with. I guess the reason I said this thing about working with Roy Hargrove and Ray Brown is that these are two tributaries of the music that were happening exactly. as you're developing. In your younger life, these were both happening at the same time, and you could contribute to both of them and to Joshua oh, yeah. Redman. These are all exactly. different versions of the music that are taking place at the same time. And as a drummer, you had to find a way, and you were all, you know had the opportunity to put your stamp on all of those different versions of the music and they all let me be me they you know if you listen to me throughout the time like with roy when i was playing with roy like that's young hutch like that i call that young chops hutch <laughs> like we swinging but man i was just like woo. <laughs> Man, it doesn't have to be that. That's cool, but it don't have to be that. There's so much space that can happen. Hutch with Ray Brown was understanding, oh, I'm playing with a, the premier bass player of all time. Let me learn. Let me listen to his beat. Let me feel how he's feeling the music. Different periods dictate how I played the music. I'm glad I had an opportunity to learn and to grow and to, to make so many different records with so many great artists. I think that's, but like I said, not great artists, great friends. Yes. A couple of things I want to ask about before we move forward. And one is that this thing that you talk about recording, because you know, you, you are a very recorded drummer. I hate my records. Every record I played, I never feel like it's not like it's, it's something, I don't know, not to cut you off, man. Yeah, yeah. I've thought about this the other day. I'm not happy with any record I've ever played. <laughs> I gotta be honest. <laughs> what do you think it is that you're not happy? The playing, the sound, it doesn't feel. Oh man, I just because I don't like listening back to. I don't like listening back. I, I feel like every time I play, it's like you play a note. After you've played that note, it's in the past. Like I just don't want to hear it. Like I don't want to hear people come to me. Man, the record with Peter Bernstein, Jive Coffee. That's great. I don't want to hear it. Like, I'm moving forward. Like, I'm still trying to get better at the instrument. I still, there's so much to learn. And I don't want to hear what I did 20 years ago. That was cool. But there's so much to learn. And I never feel like I've never captured it on record the way I wanted to. Well, that's interesting because the question I was going to ask you is why are some drummers 
called to record more than others? I mean, because they know how to work in the studio. Yeah. It's really simple. I mean, everything, and I was just telling the student that on, uh, talking to a student about this before you got on. I said, listen, man, drums or not, music is simple. The equation is this. You do the work, you put in the preparation, you will be successful. And that's the same thing for life. So with us, the more you know, the more you have studied, and at the same time, after you've studied all that, you have to let all that go and find your voice. The people who do that are the ones who are the ones who get recorded all the time. So, yeah, I'm on a lot of, I don't even know how many records I'm on. I, 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 don't, I have not counted. I mean, I've just been lucky. So yeah. always be prepared and just, I think if you're, if you're prepared and you don't worry about trying to be successful, like those records will be made. You will find yourself on records with the right people at the right time. Everything is about timing. Nothing happens before it's supposed to. You could want it to, but it won't. In all your time on the road, starting when you were, you know, late teens, whatever, you started, I'm sure, going to Europe pretty early. What was your relationship with Europe like? Eventually, you end up moving to Italy. What did that mean to you? Yeah, first place I went, Ancona, Italy, with, with, with Red Rodney, and I fell in love. Man, you know, you got to... Let's. This is, a, this is going to be one of your most honest interviews you've ever done. Let's keep it real. Let's do it. At that time, I'm super young, a young African-American man, or a young man, period, going to Europe. Now, you can do the equation yourself. <laughs> I step off the plane, and I'm like, wow, this is Europe, and this is Italian women. Mm -hmm. And wait, wait. There's no one to tell me, oh, I don't have to be at home. At oh, okay, wait a minute. So the mind just went left. Um, but <laughs> Ancona was beautiful. And also, th this was a learning experience, too, because I, the beautiful thing about everything I just said was, even with all that said, your parents teach you common sense. They teach you right from wrong, right? We all have to make our mistakes, but as long as you have the right guidance, It'll always help you. And so my mother, I could just see my mother, like anytime I was getting ready to do something that was not right, I could just see her face looking at me like, boy, if you, if when you get home, and so I would just stop. And you're, you know, Europe offers something that I tell a lot of people now, even in my quest to get back to New York, everybody comes over here to make their money. Yeah. There's no money being made in the States, really. So you started going to Europe. You recognized all of the advantages to being in Europe. And <laughs> at what point do you think you started thinking, man, I would like to see what it would be like to live here? What took you over there? To be honest, my ex-wife, I came here and I met her and decided oh, it was time for a change. Now, I have to be clear here. In hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done that because what it did is it took me further away from my daughter's. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you, man. And some of my friends who know me who will hear this, you know what I've been through. There's nothing that can replace the love of your kids. And it takes a lot for us to learn how to balance that as we're younger. Um, I didn't have that balance. I just wanted to play music, music, music all the time. And so that cost me. And so now I'm, I'm repairing relationships with my children that, I, if I would have done a few things different, I would be in this position now. I think that that is a very real factor for many musicians, you know, that yeah. because it, it is a kind of commitment that you make to your music. Yeah. And it's hard to, especially in the heat of it, prioritize anything other than the music when you've put in so much of your life into the music. But I think the younger, younger guys, like, you know, I've been around, but all that to say also, yeah. I've been around other guys who are my age, who, who got it together, who understood I just fortunately was my mind was so geared towards one thing that I couldn't see the bigger picture, which 
I should have seen because I grew up that way. So yeah. some people say, well, that makes that made you who you were and that makes your music what it is. Yeah. You, you know, try and tell your kids that. <laughs> so it, I, and this is a moment where I always anytime I talk to people in interviews, I always try and make that clear. Like, man, there's nothing more important than than the love of your, your children or, or family, because you can't play this music without that. But you got married, you moved to Italy, and Italy, yeah. and from a professional standpoint, I mean, you have committed yourself to teaching in Italy. I follow you on Instagram. Yeah. I see these yeah, workshops yeah. that you do, and you got these really swinging young bands. They seem like they're mostly oh, yeah. Italian. Oh, yeah. What about just, as you say, because so much of the work is in Europe, did you find that, like, let's say American musicians or other musicians, when they're putting a tour together, they'd call you because they knew you were there already? Was there yeah, a certain kind of work? Yeah, of course. I mean, it makes sense. Unless you have a working band that you're playing with all the time. But yeah, yeah that makes sense. That was one benefit. You could look at the other side. I've taken myself off the scene there in the States, though. But it's cool because people know me. They, you know, and I, I like to think out of sight, out of mind is really kind of nice for a minute because, like I said in the beginning, jokingly, it gave everybody else a chance to get their <laughs> stuff together and to get some gigs. Now, when I come back, I have been gone for a long time. So people are going to be like, oh, wait, Hutch is back. Yeah. Like, let's go, you know. And this is Hutch 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> a wise man once told me, patience, and you will persevere. Okay, now let's talk about Hutch 3.0, the record you finally made, The Bang. The Bang. Well, patient for a long time. I finally got up the courage to do what I wanted. You said, interestingly, this is not the record that people would have expected you to make. So what record do you think people would have expected you to make if you were going to get in the oh, head of other people? Probably some jazz record, some something tipping or something like that. But like I said before, the thing that the thing about the music that has gotten me so down is, and you said it, you alluded to it a little yeah. bit. We play music now for ourselves, which means that people sit there and look at us like we're aliens. They don't dance. They don't move. They don't do any of that stuff. And the only people getting off are the ones on stage. I was tired of that, man. I'm, guys, my contemporaries, my peers, stop writing music that people can't count, first of all. Stop doing music that people can't feel. They can't hum the melodies. Like, if I can't hum back the melody, then why are we playing it? And I think a lot of people don't think about that. And so for me, like, I just wanted to do something completely different. I didn't want to do it. I can always do a record like that. I can always make a straight ahead record. I, I have lots of friends, so that's not a problem. In many ways, you made 160 of those records by playing on other people's records. People want to hear what it sounds like yeah. when you're playing a tipping record. You got a lot of opportunities. Man, you probably one of the smartest cats has done interviews so far. You said it exactly. Why? I've done that already, right? I'm on so many great records. Now, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to put forth? And what I want to put forth is the bang, is the groove, is the movement of the feet. Something I got when I was able to play with Common or play with Let Us See, Stetsasonic, like mm. all these great bands, like move. People move as soon as that bass drum gets hit, you know, popular music. As soon as you go, poof, poof, people jump up. Oof, wait, what's that? Yeah. And I need that feeling now from the music. I need, I need to get that out of the music now. So there seems to be, even in the, some of the lyrics of the record, you've got a song where you're saying people might not understand what this is, but if they listen, they'll understand that this is my, this is my truth, this is my heart, yeah. I'm coming straight from the heart. That's right. Did you, you feel a need to sort of make that explicit in the record? This is my most honest. This is not me looking for some commercial success. This is my honest expression of who I am right now. Yeah, 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 because 
it, that I felt the need to put that out there. But then also, if you know me, and most people that know me <laughs> know the other side of it, which is I really don't. You fill in the last three words mm-hmm. what other people think because other people are not me, and I have to be the most honest to what I believe in at that moment and what I what I'm trying to put forth. So I'm trying to paint a, a broad picture for people yeah. of music that a lot of people don't get. Like great records back in the day were so wonderful because they had so many different options in terms of what you could find on one album. Yeah. As opposed to popular music now, there's no auto tune on this record. Yeah. There's none of that stuff. We got we got beats and stuff. Yeah, cool. But the things that I looked at in terms of to reference were things from Steely Dan, Earth Wind and Fire, Joni Mitchell, Dilla, yeah. Black Milk, you know, Mad Lib. Like, I'm all over the place. And so I wanted to make a record that was like, okay, this encompasses everything that I love listening to, groove-wise. In the press release for the record, you cite diverse beacons of influence, including Jay Dilla, Pete Rock, Mad Lib, Kareem Riggins, and James Taylor and Carol King. That's right. It's too late, baby. Now it's too late. Man, that's crazy. What? Come, let's go. But it also seems to me that by putting those two names at the end of a list of people that we associate with very groove-based music, what you're basically saying is it's kind of a lot of things, you know. And well, I'm James not... Taylor, though, because James Taylor, I mean, lyrically, sure, one of the best singer-songwriters, singer-songwriters we've had, right? There's many, but man, I mean, James Taylor. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. Any fool can do it There ain't nothing to it Nobody knows how we got to The top of the hill Since we're on our way down We might as well enjoy the ride you have to know this music, though. You have to know music to understand what I'm talking about. So what was the process of making the record? How long did it take to make? How did you start doing it? <laughs> wow. This record has been a while in the making. I signed a deal in Warner Brothers in 2018, I think. And then we didn't start right away. We did the record. I was happy with it. We're not 100% happy with it. Pandemic hits. I, take the, I have the record myself at home. I basically go back through the record and... and kind of start scratching everything like now we're gonna start so i have my my machines at home my mpc my Roland, my ableton all these machines and i deal with all of them and i said you know what i'm gonna go back some things i like but some things we need to beef up so i just started redoing things myself most of the lyrics on the album i wrote um i didn't the original versions of the songs i sang but then i was like nah i don't want to do that so i got my friends to sing so over the pandemic you know the first song straight to the heart that's leona berlin so this whole album is based upon really things that people go through in relationships which ultimately led to my divorce and just how i was feeling as a person and all of those emotions so every song is really leading like it was my freeing my soul at the end of the when i finished this I felt great and I knew what I had to do. Like I knew I couldn't stay married anymore because that's not where I was. You know? There's relationship is all 
So this record was not a response to divorce. This was the record that got you to the oh, end. Oh yeah, this of the got me to it. This got me through. This got me through the motions. This is like, you know what? Something ain't right. Like something something ain't right with me and something ain't right with you. And something ain't right with us. So that's what this record was about. Yeah. That's a very deep thing to do from within a relationship, also, because it's like you're that's going- great though. It's great because if you think about it, you know, I kept it and I still do keep a diary of, of your thoughts. This album is just my thoughts. Yeah. The same way you have a thought about how your day was. Imagine if you wrote that down at the end of the day. And imagine if you went back and you looked at three months worth of thoughts. Well, you have a whole album right there. When you write down your thoughts, do you take any time to think about it? Or is it just right off the pen onto the paper? I don't take time to think about it. Because if you do that, then you're not writing your most honest thought down. Like, yeah. it comes out, okay. It, and then I might go back later and like, wow, that's, yeah. pretty, that's, that's like pretty, pretty deep. But... I think if you think about it, like when you think about something and then you then in, in that in the process of thinking about it and writing it, your mind is already changing it to make it either politically correct or no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I want to write down exactly what I thought and then I deal with it and decipher it later, you know. And then if I'm putting it into a lyric, which I did here, I was like, OK, I need to make this so that everyone can understand, you know, and, and that's really all. It's, this record was really for me trying to help other people go through the same things and same emotions that a lot of, especially men don't want to talk about, like yeah. just, you know, talk about your feelings, how you feel. Like sometimes I think we don't want to, we don't do that. We're taught like, no, you got to be a man. You can't say this. No, man, I need to express how I feel all the time. And so that's what I did. Yes. As a drummer, maybe it's not a tipping record, but it's also not a record that relies exclusively on live drums. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of beat based music on it. I wonder, as a drummer, somebody who has been responsible for making people feel a certain way through the performance of the drums, what you feel about the role of drums when they're programmed and how that... Oh, I love it. Because, you know, (laughs) it's an art form. Yeah. Kareem Riggins, what's up, baby? Black Milk, what's happening? Yeah. Mad Lib. MF Doom, Dilla, DJ Premier, Pete Rock. Let's go. That that's an art form. Like yeah. that's that. And forgive me, my homeboys. I left out. Forgive me. But that's an art form. Oh wait, I can't leave Q-Tip out. Q-Tip is big. Big. You know he's. Huge also. And out of all those people, how many people play drums? Ooh, wow. Dilla played drums. Mm. Okay. You can play you you can play tracks on that record. You probably won't know if I'm playing or not. Yeah. That's how crazy it is. Like yeah. that's what I wanted to do. Like, do you know is it me playing or did I program that? And I've I've played it for a lot of people and they're like, oh man, oh man, you sound great on that track. I'm like, oh that? Oh, I programmed that. are old enough oh watch out now watch out now watch now <laughs> to know better no you're, you're okay, old. Okay. You, you are old enough that you had to respond to dilla and learn how to play that and figure out where your groove is going to be 
integrating some of those ideas. Yeah. Do you remember hearing that stuff? Well, luckily, I have the end because my, my boy Kareem Riggins was, is my younger brother from another mother. Big up Kareem. And I went out to Detroit a bunch of times, got to meet Dilla through the process of hanging and, and understanding, you know, yeah, we all were, we all were in awe. I think just someone who could feel the drums like that and program it like that and understand how to chop air. This guy, this cat could chop air, like silence. He would chop silence. Nobody was doing that. Back mm-hmm. then, you know, most of the beats were really generic. And in Dilla's case, he was able to kill the drums so hard and just his way he chopped the music and made it feel like music. Like before that, I think a lot of people were chopping and it felt like uh, not musical, but he made it like the chop was the music, the yeah. art of the chop. Yeah. So I'm in here, as much as I'm shedding on the drums, I'm in here shedding like, okay, wait a minute. I got four different machines and I got to learn all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I have the MPCs back from way back, my first MPC, the original MPC. Yep. My dad had Simmons drums, Lynn drums. I got all that stuff. Man, it's a lot of stuff to learn, but... That's why I say we call ourselves musicians. I'm not a jazz musician. I'm a musician because yeah. not many of my peers, if I put an MPC in front of them, the younger cats, yeah, but cats my age, they won't know what to do with that. So how do you even organize your life? You te- this is what I started out saying. So you te- you're teaching. I see you sometimes behind the kit just playing some good old-fashioned straight-ahead yeah. drums. Oh, we got to do that. I know you're dealing with the machines. Yep. I know you're also trying to show up for your family, for your, for how do you your kids. Your how do you organize your life? I'm still trying to learn, man. I, hopefully this record will set me in a way I need to go because people say, man, Hutch White, and let's be real. The two advantages to making a record like this, that if it's successful in the way I'm hoping it will be successful, is it will allow me to organize my life better <laughs> because I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for a hit. I'm looking for hits. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for a Grammy. I'm looking for Grammys. Not that Grammys mean all that, but I'm looking to be the best. I'm looking to do something to shock people who didn't know and those who did know, let's go for a ride. But really, so organizing my time at this point is is not even an option. I'm, I'm really full, full speed ahead, whatever needs to be done. But if it gets done the right way, then I will have plenty of time to organize my life and get better. And it's like I'm, I'm a junkie to this, man. I'm, I'm addicted to music. I've always been. I always will be until I can't breathe anymore. So I feel like if there's any moment where I'm not doing music, I'm missing out. Like I, I'm up here now hanging out and I feel like, wow, my, my lady was like, do you want to go back home? We live in Rome. She's like, oh, you can go back home tomorrow. I was like, I know the politically correct answer is like, no, nah, I'll stay here with you. And as I was sitting here thinking about this interview, I was like, man, you know what? So I could have done this interview with you. I could have gotten off the interview with you and shed on my drums a little bit or go, but you know, but sometimes we also need a break. And that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes you need to, in order to make good music, you have to step back and just be human, you know? So I think it gave me a chance to speak with you. Yeah. It gave us a chance to talk, which is wonderful. And I appreciate that you, you know, that that was a factor, but I'll tell you the word vacation is not a word that is in the vocabulary of most musicians. Well, anybody who's an independent contractor, I mean, vacation, unless you own a company, I think the pandemic was my first big vacation and it was great. Did it change anything for you? Did it give you a new insight into anything? Yeah, it did. It really made me, you know, I always appreciate what we do, but it made me appreciate it more, but it also made me appreciate taking time off too. Like the fact that the world had to slow down and, you know, I don't wish anyone who lost someone in the pandemic, I know condolences, Godspeed, but we all had to slow down. And what happens as soon as we speed back up, 
what what happened? Like, think about this. There was no Ukraine over the pandemic, right? None of that stuff was happening. As soon as we get back to what we get back to, what, what goes on? Start fighting. So all the madness starts again. People, when people are fearful for their lives, madness stops. We weren't talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> Nobody was talking about that stuff. You know, now I'm, I'm over here watching the news. And the one thing that could stop me from coming back to the States is that, and we don't want to get political, but man, America, I don't care what party you're for, Republican or Democrat, wake up. There's common sense and there's ignorance. And I, I can't believe that people can't see through the ignorance. And it really, sometimes I watch the TV and I'm like, is it me or am I in another dimension from what's happening? Because I watched the debate and I was sitting there going, y'all gotta be kidding me, man. What am I, did you see the debate? I didn't watch it. I couldn't do it. Okay, please. Yeah, that's exactly, see exactly what I'm saying. Cornell West, please come on. <laughs> Jesus. We have more homeless people now than I've ever seen. You've been in San Francisco lately? That's ridiculous. Like, I just was there not long ago, SF Jazz. Thank you, SF Jazz. Big up Chance Blanchard. It's ridiculous. And this is the common theme. I, when I was in New York, I stayed by Times Square. I've never seen so many homeless people sleeping outside the hotel. So our priorities are all wrong. America is so divided. Trump divided everybody, blacks, whites. Yeah. It's just really a period that I've never seen in my life growing up. There's very few Republicans that I respected. Yeah. John McCain was one. I wish I, we could take, we could bring John McCain back and make him 20 years younger so he could live a little longer and he could talk some sense into both parties. Um, it's just really sad to see where we've gotten to. And you know, nowhere in the world is perfect. Europe has their issues. Everything's going far right. Yeah. So the question is, you know, to sound really corny, the music is the only thing that, yeah. <laughs> that people have. That's but, it. You know, I mean, Sonny Rollins has said that over the years. This is the, the, the this music has the potential to heal the world and save the world. It does. It does. And but we have to let it though. Yeah. We have to allow ourselves to love. Why do you hate me because of a color? Because if we're in an accident and I'm the only person that can save your life, are you really going to be like, no, he's a black man because the blood is red. So are you, just to be clear, are you moving back or you're flirting with it or you're definitely doing oh, no, it? No, we're definitely coming back. Yeah, yeah. My, my other half is, yeah. we, we on it. Yeah. So like I said, I'm trying to wait <laughs> to see what this election is going to look like. I mean, the more I watch these debates and the more like, and I'm sorry, I'm a Democrat, but we really don't have much to offer either. Joe, I love you, Joe, but. I think you should retire. I love well, you, but you got to retire. Well, that's what you, when you said that about John McCain being 20 years younger, it's like, well, they should, we, everybody needs to be 20 years younger. I mean, they, I think it, so, man. And it shows that we in our generation and younger have not been able to inspire exactly people to enter public service and want to do, and why would you want they to? Because want to. why I, would I you think want to? Young people don't want to do that. And can you blame them? It's like, what is the upside for them to get into it? Now, going forward, we're also a country that only has really two parties, which is so ridiculous, yeah. really. So we can never have any change when you have two parties. And so what happens? One year we get a Democratic president, but everything else is Republican. Or the next time we get Republican, everything else is Democratic. So it's like we never move forward. That's right. And we're just punishing each other for what the last always, people did. Always. For what? Man, it's such an honor and a pleasure to talk to you, man. Oh, and for I me too, man. This is not an interview. I like talking to people who understand the music. 
but also, like I said, deeper and bigger than the music is the life. Yes. And uh, to have a conversation of like how we're ending is just as important because we we can't survive. We can't play music. We need to take care of the world so that we can keep doing what we do. Yeah. If we don't take care of the world. Everything else is mute. It's a new point. It makes no sense. My record, everything else that happens won't mean anything if we can't take care of each other. And to me, that's the bigger thing. The social awareness and the consciousness of a people, black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight, I don't care what you are. We need to be more in tune with each other. So hopefully yeah. this gets across to the people that way, you know. Yes, I hear you, man. And I, and I think it is getting across. And, you know, talking to you, I'm reminded that musicians have a special role in our society because you travel. Yeah. Musicians are the ones that go around the world and see what it is and then re- kind of report back on what they've seen and what they've felt. It's so different, too. And that's the thing. When you do that, when you're able to do that and people can understand like, like that you do something different and that you have a different understanding of different people in the world. Yeah. Then hopefully they listen. I mean, because that's what it's all about. It's like if I was only talking to you from from the standpoint of a guy who just grew up on the same block and did nothing else, and it's not to you know not to down anyone who who that that's your life, but then your life experience is not the same as mine. So I tell everybody, get it. If you have a passport, yeah, travel. Yeah. If you if and if you've done enough things where you can't get a passport, well, unfortunate for you. But if you can get one, travel, (laughs) see the world, go see Switzerland, go see. Yeah. the netherlands go yeah. see france go see germany go see all these places and you'll see that a lot of people are just like you hutch man thank you so much for taking time it's such a pleasure Thanks to a talk lot, to you man. and keep bringing it to the people as best you can thank you brother there he was my friends hutch coming straight from the heart and into your head i'll be back again before you know it with another deep dive until then i'll talk to you soon this has been a wbgo studios production To learn more about WBGO Studios' award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org slash studios.